And welcome to Robots in Your Eyes, a podcast that looks at vintage Saturday morning cartoons through the eyes of people way older than the intended audience, still captivated by the glorified toy adverts that we love so much. I'm Stephen Alexander, and I'm here with... Jason Thompson. Hello. Hi, Jason. Wow. So we have been renewed for a second series. It's very exciting. It is. It's very, very exciting indeed. <laughs> I can't believe it. I mean, after the disaster of the first season and what happened in episode six as well. Oh, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. I just... <laughs> but we're back. We've got a new title sequence and it's fantastic. We're very pleased with it. It is. It's a, it's a great new title sequence. And they've rejigged the opening tune as well. So it's now a bit, uh, has a bit more oomph to it. Because um, the first one was, was okay. It was a classic, but it was a bit kind of yeah it's all right it's kind of getting the message but now it's very much much more uh, much heavier and i like it a lot and also the the new sequence immediately introduces us to a whole bunch of new characters that we haven't seen before yes it does um, i think I, I i really like the music i so i love the music from the first version and i'd forgotten until i got the dvd last the other year that they'd actually rejigged it for the second year so it came as a bit of a surprise when I got to series two and that sort of that lovely grinding opening comes in. I really, really like the intro to that. It's excellent. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to try something now, which we may edit out if that's okay with you. By all means. Uh, I'm going to describe what happens in the title sequence very quickly. Go for it. Okay, here we go. So it starts off with the a blank screen and then... Autobot and Decepticon Badgets blast past Cybertron to Earth, where the camera flips upside down as a volcano explodes and the Transformers logo flies into Grimlock's mouth. We flip around and see Grimlock and his chomping on Dirge. Or maybe Ramjet or Thrust. He's with the other Dinobots who fire at Blitzwing, who comes flying in. Turning into a robot tank, he blasts at Omega Supreme's tank mode that transforms into a robot and stomps Blitzwing. The remains are scooped up by Bone Crusher in Bulldozer mode, while Omega turns and blasts at Astro Train, who turns into a train travelling along some tracks that lead into a lava pit. So Astro Train turns into a space shuttle and blasts past. In the lava pit, the Insecticons are swimming. The lava pit turns into a yellow grid and Optimus Prime, Red Alert, tracks and grappler running towards we flip over to see Megatron, some Constructicons and Thrust, or maybe Ramjet or Dirge. They fire at each other and go to close quarters combat as the grid turns purple, loops around Prime and Megatron in a tornado shape and explodes, cut to logo. Fabulous. What do you think of the title sequence? I love it. It, it doesn't let up. It's just non-stop action, cutting to various characters, new ones that we've not seen before. Um, it, it's great. It's... You have to watch it several times to get what's going on because there's just so many things happening, so many new characters that appear. And you're I like, saw... who's that? What's that? What's going on there? Why have we, where, where are we? What? Hey, who? What? Hey, who? Yeah, it absolutely leaps from place to place. And I, I, the old characters get short shrift. They are, there's very few in there. There's, I think it's just Prime and Megatron are the only old characters who. And the Dinobots. Are in there. And the Dinobots. And Swoop. Grimlock and Swoop appear in there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Right at the start. But yes, other than that, it is. And of course, the Constructicons appeared and the Insecticons appeared at the end of the last series. Yes. Um, but yeah, we've got Blitzwing, Astro Train, Omega Supreme. Yeah. People, yeah. Like, people like Jazz and Ratchet, they don't get a look in. Nope, they don't. No, but that's fine because there are new toys to sell. So there is one other immediate difference straight up is that we get the writer's name and the title of the episode at the front. So we immediately know who is responsible for this nonsense. Donald F. Glut, yes. For Autobot Spike. But yes, I like the episode title captions are helpful. 
certainly resolves a few arguments in the long run. And we start off at the Ark, and they're still doing the voiceover at this point, and it tells us that an experiment is taking place. But it's not Wheeljack who's carrying out this experiment. Oh, no. Oh, no. Who could be carrying out an experiment? No, it's Sparkplug who has created something that he wanted to see what he could do with a whole pile of spare Autobot parts and a whole lot of human ingenuity. Now, from previous experience of Sparkplug, a whole lot of human ingenuity is not a characteristic I would associate with that character. He's yeah. not demonstrated huge amounts of ingenuity and creativity and initiative in general, has he, really? He, he wanted to have a go, didn't he? He wanted to try and impress everyone. But unfortunately, his results are not impressive. And I immediately, before we talk about Autobot X, it immediately made me think of the episode of The Simpsons where they get Homer to design a car for the everyman. This monstrosity cost $82,000. What have I done? And it's a total mess. So what parts of Autobots did you identify in the, in the robot Frankenstein's monster, as his son calls it? Oh, God, it, it's a mess, but I'm pretty sure um, half his head looks like Ratchet's head with the spiky thing. Um, I'm sure one of his arms comes from Sunstreaker. Yep. Uh, and there looks like there's a bit of Prowl or Blue Streak on half his chest. Because he's sort of half, and he's all—he hasn't got any matching parts. Even his chest is divided in the middle, and his head is divided down the centre, and everything else. So yeah, it's a—it's a big mess, and it does raise the question of if all these spare parts are hanging around. So do do all these parts come in halves? Is there not a spare helmet that's intact, complete of a head or anything? They really have to cobble it together that way. I—I I don't know. It's—it's <laughs> it's a real cut and shut deal, isn't it? It is, although Ratchet makes an interesting comment, which is, uh, oh, another Autobot? Well, even if this works, who needs it? Which is ironic, considering the glut of new Autobots that are going to be appearing in the next few episodes. <laughs> Apparently they do need a new Autobot, or 12. <laughs> Apparently so. Every week. Uh, Sparkplug wants to prove that he's just as good as Wheeljack, and uh, he brings he brings Autobot X to life. Uh, with a sequence very similar to that of Frankenstein, with electricity going through wires and Sparkplug. Well, Sparkplug doesn't laugh, but he's very pleased with himself. And wait, just wait, like, wait, Steve. Are you yes? are you suggesting that this is some kind of homage to Frankenstein in some way? I don't. It's I. If so, it was very subtle, and I don't. I don't get that. That's constantly being talked about in the episode. <laughs> did Did you miss them repeatedly talking about Frankenstein? And yes, well, well, there's a few more references as we go along. <laughs> One or two. Yes. Yes. Just in case we're we're not sure what the basis and inspiration for this episode is. <laughs> Autobot X immediately goes out of control and starts smashing stuff like the Dinobots did. So all the spare monitors and equipment get smashed, and it's up to three Autobots to save the day. It's Ironhide, Prowl, and Trailbreaker. But Autobot X actually does pretty well to begin with, doesn't he? Autobot X is is pretty powerful, yes. Yeah, but Trailbreaker's force field stops Autobot X from zapping them. Prowl fires acid pellets at him, apparently, and then Ironhide fires, I guess it's his liquid nitrogen cannon from his hands to bring him down. Um, so that experiment was not a success. Well, no more than the Dinobots were anyway. It's decided, Wheeljack decides that it's Autobot X needs to be put into storage. 
but he wants to find a way to put the mental impulses of a Transformer into Autobot X in case any Autobot is damaged. Optimus Prime looks up from the magazine he's reading and says, yeah, sure, sounds like a great plan. Do whatever. <laughs> that's uh, that's the end of Autobot X. Good episode. Yep, that was it. All of that. All done. Yes. Um, and then there's a, a convenient alarm from Teletram 1. And Optimus Prime says, there's only one reason why Teletram 1 would sound that alarm. A Decepticon attack. And you think, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Teletram 1 would, would, would alarm if a Decepticon... On the new Air Force rocket base. That's a very specific condition for that alarm going off, isn't it? it well, yes, maybe it's it's their special. They probably they might have different kinds of alarms for different situations, and this is their air force rocket base being attacked by Decepticons alarm. It's like mobile phones; they've given every base different ringtones on Teletran One. That's uh... <laughs> and we get a cool transformation sequence as the guys leave the like guys leave the arc. We don't get Autobots transform and roll out, and I'm going to be listening very carefully in case he says that again because I. I think we've had it. I think that's it. I don't think he says it again until the movie. I'm probably wrong. So we cut to the new... I got Air Force rocket base. I got airport rocket base, but I don't pay attention very much. (laughs) And uh, a man who seems to be called General General is giving a press conference to all the people. And he says that this rocket base is going to be, oh, the Decepticons are attacking. So we don't find out what these rockets are for, what, why, why they've built them or anything about them. They've just built rockets. But as Megatron says, it takes a lot of energy to launch these rockets, General. And this energy now belongs to me. <laughs> but they want to secure the base for any petty annoyances present themselves. Meanwhile, driving neatly and parking behind the barrier at the front of the base are the Autobots. Do you consider us petty, Megatron? They goad him. So we are neatly into our first battle of the episode. How does the battle go, Jason? Oh, it is. It's an absolute farce. It really is. You know, we 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 have established over the previous sixteen episodes in the first series that the Autobots are absolutely rubbish at stopping the Decepticons from trashing facilities. Every time there's a battle, the power plant, the steel mill, whatever it is, gets utterly, utterly trashed. This time, this time it's particularly bad because the first bit to go wrong is when Braun kicks Soundwave into one of the rockets and knocks it over. So the Autobots are the ones destroying and trashing the base. Oh, dear. (laughs) And then it just goes from there on. It goes very, very wrong because it seems that whoever designed the rocket base didn't think to space the rockets out far enough. So when one goes over, it kind of has a domino effect and knocks all the others over. Yep. Massive explosions, total chaos, total destruction and Soundwave in possibly one of the most understated reactions that he could possibly deliver says energy source inadvertently destroyed. (laughs) <laughs> that, that is that is a very logical way of putting things. Meanwhile, Bumblebee and Spike are wondering if they should have bothered coming. I'm not surprised. <laughs> should we have come to this? This is ridiculous. It, it Well, yeah, it really is. Um, but Megatron is, of course, very upset because there's nothing left to take. That, that <laughs> stuff we came to get, it's not here. This is, incidentally, though, the first time that the Autobots have actually stopped the Decepticons getting away with a load of energy, but they've done it by destroying the energy source rather than actually stopping the Decepticons in their evil plan. This is 
this is a bold new strategy for the Autobots. Whenever they hear they see the Decepticons attacking a base, they just go in and destroy the base immediately, <laughs> thus stopping the Decepticons in their tracks. Megatron oh. sounds an uh, Megatron sounds an early retreat at five minutes and twenty three seconds, and they all leave, but not before creating a diversion by shooting Spike and Bumblebee. And it's just make a note. It's Soundwave wielding Megatron this year. He's had enough of Starscream doing it. Now it is Soundwave who's the favourite son. Yes, so Soundwave gets to wield Megatron a couple of times in this episode. Yeah, very cool. Uh, so Spike and Bumblebee, obviously after that, both have badly injured shoulders. Uh, but Spike is like really, really badly injured. Uh, his shoulder is in maximum pain. Fortunately, Ratchet can turn into an ambulance and get him to a hospital. And Prowl can turn into a police car, provide an escort and get in there even quicker. Because Spike is at this point comatose for, well, he's been in a car crash, really, hasn't he? So who knows how badly injured he is. Uh, but they zip him off to hospital quickly in a nice bit of making use of their vehicle modes for something actually applicable to the vehicle mode specifically, rather than just, oh, we're cars, we'll just drive him. It's like, no, we've got an ambulance and a police car. Those are the two best ones to get him to the hospital quickly. Yeah, to be fair, I think the ambulance could have managed on its own, but Prowl really hasn't done much in the past 16 episodes, so it's good to see him involved. It's good to see him involved, yes. Although one has to wonder why uh, they took him to this particular hospital because the doctor in there is a little bit strange because the doctor wonders if only there were a way to separate Spike's mind from his body while we work on it. Don't you just normally anaesthetise people and work on them anyway? Because what, what what's the good of taking the mind out of the body? I think I think it's a young Dr. House from the TV show House who loves this kind of nonsense. It could well be. I don't know what uh, what particular hospital it is because I'm pretty sure even in the 1980s there weren't many hospitals with huge cavernous rooms with one bed in the middle of it. <laughs> we see uh, it's pr- America it's private healthcare. I think that the Autobots must have some kind of private healthcare plan which uh, or maybe it's the oil rigs because Sparkplug used to work on the oil rig, so maybe he's got a private healthcare plan with them. It must have lapsed by now. He hasn't been on oil rig for ages. <laughs> he hasn't done any work for years. No. <laughs> so, how, what, what are they doing now? They're just living in the ark, apparently. But uh, yeah, Sparkplug, being the wonderfully responsible father, goes, actually, maybe we can do what you're, that weird, horrible thing that you're suggesting. Uh, it's a billion to one chance. But if it will save my boy, we've got to do it. Okay. Your, your spark plug's parenting is questionable. <laughs> also, also, don't tell Mrs. Sparkplug that we're doing this, okay? <laughs> this is on the Q team between me and you, okay, Doc? Okay. <laughs> Fortunately, it seems that Wheeljack has in fact invented and constructed that thing he was talking about five minutes ago that transfers mental impulses. Yeah. I, we, 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 so we go back to the Ark and Ratchet is repairing Bumblebee and he is fixing up the rear end of the Bumblebee car, because Bumblebee's still in car mode. And anyone, everyone knows that the engine for the VW is located in the rear rather than the front. And so that makes very good sense. And I just wanted to point out, because it's my fact. I've got another fact, which I'll tell you, that's for the next episode. Okay. (laughs) I'm just excited to have facts, damn it. (laughs) So Sparkplug sounds quite agitated as the mind transference begins. How could this possibly 
work. Like just thinking about it, how how could this even? There are things you can do with mind transference, right? There's a couple of ways you could do it. How do you think it might work? And don't say it doesn't. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Well, you shut down my answer straight away there, Steve, didn't you? <laughs> I know you, Jason. <laughs> How do I think it might work? Well, you know, the brain is just a bunch of electrical impulses, and so is a robot brain, one assumes. So I guess you could overlay the patterns. But for it to be any good... Okay, so you can't do the one which I would think of, which is copy the structure of the brain onto a circuit board and insert it into the robot. That doesn't work because then you've got two separate brains. The best way to do it would be to take, physically remove the brain and put it into the robot, but they clearly don't do that. So there must be some other procedure. So they're aliens and it's more advanced technology than we can understand. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> Good. Uh, and how does Spike feel about being in this robot body that everyone thought was rubbish at the start of the episode? He's about as impressed as you would expect. He's not happy at all. And he goes on a bit of a rampage, a bit like Autobot X did at the beginning. So, again, the things that the Autobots have just repaired get smashed again. Those same monitors get smashed. Yeah. Why? Why? Sideswipe and Sunstreaker try to restrain Autobot X, but Spike is actually very strong. He is. And Sideswipe and Sunstreaker haven't appeared until now in the episode. And because we're now at the beginning of series two, they get a bit of a name check when they run in so that Spike identifies them before he throws them across the room. Um, <laughs> that's, that's very useful. But they're my favourites. Or no, one of my 10, 15, 20 favourites of the Autobot Transformers. So oh, they are. They are yeah. good. I like yeah. those two. Yeah. Uh, but, and Prime says they have to use low power to stop Autobot Spike because they, if they destroy the body now, they'll destroy Spike. And weirdly, he holds his gun like a bazooka. Low power. So he takes the single most powerful weapon possessed by any Autobot and loads it onto his shoulder to give him extra oomph and blast the, blast the heavens out of poor old Spike. Who's Apart from us, who's watching this stupidity? Ah, uh, Laserbeak has been eavesdropping on all this. But before Laserbeak flies out, they assure, that, uh, they assure Spike they did the only thing they could do to save him, which I don't think is actually true because they've never done it with anyone else before. And he was in a car crash and doctors have saved people from car crash injuries all the time before without mind transfer things. So not quite sure. Yeah. Um, but he says that it's like something is telling him to do bad things. So something weird has happened on this mind transfer. Yes. Do you think it could have been the approximately now year and a half of trauma he suffered at being the centre of a inter interplanetary war between two robot alien factions? That could well be it, yes. But Prime has been recalled. He says some of us have to go and help repair the rocket base, which is about you know one of the very few occasions when the Autobots actually go back and help repair the damage that they've done rather than just clearing off. Um, and he says every comfort will be provided to Autobot Spike while they're gone. And then off goes Laserbeak with all the information. The Decepticons are still alive, despite the last time we saw them, them falling into a huge lava pit and all getting burnt to smithereens. So well done, the Decepticons. They're back in their undersea base. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, Jason? Only that if they weren't, it would have been very difficult to make a series two of the Transformers, really, without the Decepticons having survived the end of that last 
encounter. And Megatron did promise that they would rise again. So yeah, they sure did. They have risen. They could have fought someone else. The Autobots could have fought, I don't know, the GoBots. Maybe Shockwave could have raised a new army of Decepticons on Cybertron and come to Earth with those. I don't know. Why is that a better idea already? But clearly at this point, Megatron and the Decepticons have been around. They must know because the Autobots say nothing about being surprised that the Decepticons are there, even yeah. though the last time they saw them, apparently they'd fall into a lava pit. Laserbeak goes back to Megatron. Megatron immediately recaps the plot for anyone who hasn't been paying attention or has only just tuned in. And he says that he's going to use Autobot Spike to destroy the Autobots once and for all. Who points out what they point out here? <laughs> well, of course, Starscream is there and points out that Megatron has made such boasts before. And Megatron calls him ambitious one. And the other thing he says is he's going to use he's going to use the Autobots' own thingy to destroy them. And then he says. <laughs> Supreme irony turning their friend into their foe. Spike is watching television on Teletran One, and for some bizarre reason, of all the things that they could have put on the telly for him, he's watching the Frankenstein movie. Or a Frankenstein movie, because obviously there have been many. Although, obviously, Frankenstein was the creation of uh, Mary Shelley and is a fantastic story, I think we can safely say that this particular episode takes its inspiration from the Hammer Horror versions of Frankenstein, uh, even down to the bolt on Autobot Spike's neck. So Frank and Spike is sitting down to watch Teletrand 1 and he, he goes nuts because the film's just terrible. It's an appalling film. And guess what? He smashes those monitors again and equipment. <laughs> and then he's, he's, he's out of control. He flies out of the base where he's spotted by Reflector, who's hanging around outside the Ark and taking nice photographs of landscapes and so on and so forth. You know. He does. And Bumblebee goes out after him. But Ratchet says, I still have to repair your radio transmitter, which is a handy little plot point for later on why Bumblebee can't call for help and he has to drive all the way back to the Autobots. But also we've never, as far as I can recall, seen an Autobot calling for help over a radio transmitter previously. Uh, they radioed in right at the beginning when Sparkplug radioed using Trailbreaker's radio. So, so they have occasionally used radio transmitters, but without Bumblebee's radio transmitter, of course, they can't find him. And he yeah. can't call for help. Reflector has followed Spike to an outcropping on of rock in the wilderness. And interestingly, Reflector now is in his three robots and he speaks in unison. All three of them speak together, which is something he's not done before. Uh, apparently this is also Reflector's last line. Did we like... Is Reflector cool is he good is he was he he's not he's not the most exciting of decepticons but he's definitely there to make up the numbers i think possibly if they'd made more of him and gone with the original plan which was that he was a robot who could split himself into three rather than three robots who combined into one camera because that the way he's portrayed makes it rather difficult what happens if one of his three bodies gets knocked out can he then still transform into a camera how does it work i also think that um when people talk about transformer toys we didn't get in the uk not many people say oh we didn't get reflector because we never got reflector in the uk but franken spike is sitting on the edge of a cliff pondering philosophy when who should arrive but the decepticons 
and Spike starts blasting at them. Frankenspike, I mean, he says, again, he says, I'm a metal Frankenstein monster. Just in case we need to be hit over the head with that particular analogy again, this is about the fifth time I think the word Frankenstein has appeared in this episode. Subtle. Subtle indeed. But yeah, Megatron arrives with the Seekers, the F-15 gang, the Jets, whatever we want to call them. I'm going for Jets. He says, oh, bring it on and everything. But of course he gets taken down because... It's Spike in a robot body versus three really rather accomplished fighters. Yeah, he scores a couple of hits early on, but the Jets make very short work of him. They do indeed. But then Megatron says there's no need for further conflict. Um, And he says, you've improved your appearance since the last time I saw you, Spike. (laughs) Yes, that's easy for you to say, Mega Crumb, which, uh, as insults go, is, is one of the weakest and clearly reflective of his mental state at this point. I really like what Megatron says next. We Decepticons are but sentient machines who have discovered our destiny in this vast universe, which gives them a feeling that they, the Decepticons do have a kind of moral philosophy and a reason for their for what the, the stuff that they do. So I, I, I like that kind of aspect to it when he's trying to explain why the Decepticons are actually, in their view, the good guys. But they're clearly not. Yeah, it's one of those ones where, as as you look at the Transformers as an extended franchise with everything that's come around um, the cartoons and the toys since, like all the annuals and the stories and the other series that have arrived, kind of make it a bit more ambiguous as to who is actually in the right in this conflict. Because there's, I believe there's an argument that the Autobots have just maintained rule of Cybertron through tradition, hereditary rule and things like that and the Decepticons are more well we want to find our own destiny and what have you but of course because this is a kids cartoon series they do make the Decepticons power hungry villains who want to take over the entire universe which kind of makes it a little more black and white than some of the other (laughs) attempts the cartoon is still kind of ambiguous because of the rule of cartoons which is that no humans can be shown to be killed by the Transformers so the Decepticons don't actually kill any people, even though they could just roll into town and massacre everyone. They, they're they not murderers. And that is an inadvertently interesting aspect, that they're just there for the power. Yeah, they don't go after the people. They don't try and kill people. And then you get into the, the movies, and we won't even go into that. Let's not even let's forget that. <laughs> I won't go down that road. So that makes it easy for Megatron to try and convince Spike that he should... Just do what Megatron says, because Spike's finding it hard to think. And if you can't think, you should just let Megatron think for you. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, that's certainly where I would go if I was if I was having difficulty thinking. I'd go for the nearest power-mad evil genius and ask them to think for me. Yeah, and he writes on the back of Spike's hand, W-W-M-D, which stands for <laughs> What Would Megatron Do? <laughs> So Spike thinks he's going to make the Autobots pay and his eyes glow. And then we go back to the rockets, which have been remarkably quickly repaired because Transformers can repair and build things very, very quickly, clearly. There's no sign of any of the damage that was inflicted the last time they were there. And the rockets are ready to launch, which again is impressive given how long it actually takes to get a rocket ready for launch. And they all go up. Yeah, they all go up. General General announced the launch and uh, Prime says it's very impressive. For primitive rocket tech that we repaired very quickly. Uh, but then Bumblebee comes rushing up to the barrier and the guards try and stop him. But of course, he's a Transformer, so he just drives through the barrier. 
Interesting that Bumblebee drives through the barrier while attempting to get Optimus Prime this time. But earlier on, when they were responding to an actual Decepticon attack, they stopped at the barrier and calmly stepped over it in robot mode. <laughs> yeah, Bumblebee's, Bumblebee's a bit of a rebel, to be honest. But he comes with the most appalling news. Megatron is telling lies to Spike. <laughs> that's, a real, that's a real eight-year-old in the playground reporting to the teacher kind of thing, isn't it? Oh, God, isn't it just? <laughs> daddy, daddy! I heard Megatron telling lies to Spike. Prime was afraid something like this would happen, but he didn't do anything about it, did he? No, his his leadership skills don't seem to have improved any since the last series. Shh, with, he's, he's a great leader. Shh. I've just edited an episode where you said exactly the opposite of that, Steve, so don't you start trying to defend Prime now. <laughs> Shh, he's a great leader. <laughs> Keep it going. <laughs> So they drive off to wherever Spike is, sitting on a cliff edge somewhere, with all the Autobots. And they don't see any Decepticons, they just see Spike. But Spike, we see something with Spike, don't we? Oh yes, Spike is holding behind his back Megatron in gun mode. But as he has a gun built into his left arm, it doesn't have to pull this out straight away. But the first thing he does is shoot Optimus Prime. Yeah, yeah. They, they they are Spike's comeback. Spike says he's starting to think like a monster. He's become a monster and he's got superpowers he hasn't even discovered yet and he just blasts at them. Optimus says it's an unfortunate effect of the mind transfer. Although, as we've uh, kind of discussed, it could be any number of reasons why Spike is behaving this way. And then he pulls out the big guns, literally. He pulls out Megatron and the Autobots have to go and hide behind some rocks to escape from the terrifying blast of Megatron. And then out from behind even more rocks, who turns up? The rest of the Decepticons turn up. Yay! Ironhide, at this point, does something really peculiar, and he blasts at the Decepticons with a ton of brown slime that comes out of the end of his hands. I presume it's some kind of acid or mud or slurry or something, but it does. it's on screen very briefly, but it's very strange. It could be the sticky stuff that he's used before. Um, there was an episode where he used it to stick Shockwave and somebody else to the floor on Cybertron. So it could be that, but it's not terribly clear. Uh, but there's basically lots of Decepticons and Autobots shooting at each other and missing repeatedly, even though they're standing still. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of blasting and hiding behind rocks and shooting at, at close quarters which always seems to cause them no problems whatsoever. Uh, but then Prime is still trying to get through, but he can't attack Spike because he doesn't want, again, hitting us over the head with the same thing repeatedly. If he destroys Spike's body, he'll destroy Spike's mind, etc., etc. And then Wheeljack arrives with Sparkplug, and Sparkplug tries to reason with Spike, and Spike shoots him off a cliff. Yeah, why are you checking your friends, says Sparkplug. And yeah, he just he just very slowly blasts him off this, this cliff and he's falling to his doom into the ad break. The Transformers will return after these messages. And after the ad break, he's still falling to his doom very slowly, which gives Spike just enough time to find out that he's got a special grapple arm, which comes out of his right arm, which looked like Trailbreaker's arm, and it opens up and it rescues Sparkplug and picks him up and saves him. And this marks a turning point in the episode because things go differently from here, don't they? 
They do indeed. He stands and apologises for nearly killing his dad. Um, <laughs> and then Megatron says, what are you waiting for? Use my power to destroy them. And Spike goes, yes, it's my chance to destroy them. And he shoots at the Decepticons. Hooray! Being shot by Megatron in gun mode causes one of the Decepticons to have a bit of a sore shoulder. <laughs> it's the perennial injury. Uh, the risk that you run when Megatron's shooting at you. Uh, this turns the tide of the battle and Megatron sounds the retreat at 20, minute and 20 minutes and one second. Although quite why he should simply retreat just because Spike used him to shoot a couple of his own warriors. Eh, who knows? But, you know, as, as reasons for retreats go, it's not too bad considering some of the others that happen in other episodes. So we'll, we'll accept this one. I think I think we're I think we're at the downhill reasons for retreat point. I think the reasons for retreat get more and more tenuous as we go along in the second series. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Um, Sparkplug says, "Oh, Spike, you saved my life." And Spike, quite reasonably, says, "Well, I was the one who put you in danger in the first place," which is a pretty accurate rendition of what happened. He asks for forgiveness, and Sparkplug says, "There's nothing to forgive." That's remarkably forgiving for someone who was nearly just killed by his own son in a giant robot body. But Well, I'm not surprised because all of this is Sparkplug's fault. And if there's anyone who should be apologising, it's Sparkplug. I think that's fair, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So we, we cut back to the hospital and Spike's real body is all better and he's fine and he's fighting fit, except he hasn't got a mind. So he's just sort of lying there. And I, I press pause at this point. His medical chart seems to have them his name down as Karina Hat. Uh, it's definitely not Spike written on there. Spike Witwicky or whatever his name is. It definitely says Karina Hat. Uh, he's had the best possible treatment, even if it was the wrong possible person. How do they resolve the situation? We've got one last denouement to come. Well, Wheeljack has once again demonstrated the remarkably rapid repair skills that the Autobots have. And he's put all the stuff that Autobot Spike trashed back together again so that they can transfer Spike's mind out of Autobot X's body and back into Spike's own body. But apparently it's overloading. It can't take much more. And then it works anyway. This is a very familiar thing with Wheeljack's inventions where they seem not to work and then they do. And Spike is back in his own body. But apparently, although there's no actual evidence of it, the machine is trashed, and Ratchet said he could probably repair it, but it's probably best he doesn't, and I think we can all agree with that particular assessment. Yeah, this was a terrible, terrible day for everyone. Nobody came out of this well, and they, they're not going to repair Frankenspike's body. But Bumblebee hasn't had enough of perverse experiments. No, he wonders what it would be like if a robot mind were transferred to a human. Yeah. Rather than what normally happens, when somebody says something like that, everybody laughs and it's the end of the episode. He says that and everyone just stands there quietly and sort of looks at him. And thankfully, if I recall correctly, no one follows up on that little sequel hook in any future episodes of the cartoon series. Thank God. Yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Jason, it might not happen quite like that, but there is an episode where we get human Transformers much later on. Yeah, so Bumblebee was slightly prophetic, but it's a long way in the future. But that's the end of the episode, and we get a whole bunch of new characters appearing in the closing titles as well. Don't know who they are either. They're just new friends. New people are just new friends you haven't met yet. Or new toys you haven't bought yet. 
I think that's more what they were going for, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, how, how do you rate the episode, Jason? How do you rate the episode Autobot Spike? Which I, I'm going to reveal something here. <laughs> it's actually based on the story of Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. <laughs> Does that throw new light on it? You're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's not based on the story of Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. It's based on the Hammer Horror versions of Frankenstein that turn him into a flat-headed monster with bolts through his neck who wanders around going as opposed to the Frankenstein's monster in the book who is actually quite eloquent yeah I I have read Frankenstein many many years ago and I do remember it's just so different to the movie versions it's so much more lyrical and thoughtful and interesting I didn't I, I didn't think it was a great read but it's a very interesting concepts in it. Uh, you've read it, haven't you? I have, yes. And as far as I can tell, the movies took the concept of a scientist creating a body and then basically stopped reading the book after that point, I think. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Did you did, did you want to give up on Autobot X? Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I thought this episode, frankly, was dreadful. <laughs> it's so I don't even have a man of the match for this episode because nobody comes out of this one well at all. The auto spark plug has created something utterly ridiculous, which nearly trashes the arc twice and leads to a massive fight with the Autobots. Um, Then he sticks his son's mind in it because it's like, oh, that's an idea. Let's try that rather than no doctor. Can you can you just use normal conventional medical science to heal heal my son, please? (laughs) Um, Decepticons run away too easily and the Autobots are the reason that the rocket base got destroyed because they kick the Decepticons into it and they cause all sorts of damage. So nobody comes out of this well enough for me to be called a man of the match. It's just (laughs) terrible. Okay, I did have a nomination for man of the match and that person was Bumblebee for the single act of smashing through the barrier that the Autobots all stopped at earlier. And that, for me shows that he's prepared to go that extra mile and do what it takes to get the job done. Uh, that's enough amount of the match for me. But that does show the quality of the episode, that <laughs> an, an Autobot driving through a barrier is enough for man of the match because that's the best thing you can think of in this episode. <laughs> it was. It was a lot of fun on the way. Um, I probably should mention there's a lot of odd uh, bits where we zoom in on Frankenspike's face in a very kind of strange way. Uh, and the animation's generally pretty good. I don't know. There are some good points. It's it's just a really odd episode, frankly. And Spike's trauma list is now out of control. I mean, how that boy's still functioning, I do not know. So poor old Spike. Poor old Spike. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the animation is good. The animation quality is good in this episode. I'll give it that. But um, but the story is terrible. And yeah, as I said, the fact that they keep on mentioning Frankenstein as if we wouldn't get it if they don't keep mentioning the word Frankenstein or putting clips of a cartoon version of the Frankenstein movie in there just in case we still don't get it. It's just, I know it's a kid's cartoon, but you don't have to talk down to them to that level. I think that's for me, that's the biggest crime this episode commits. It, it doesn't assume any degree of familiarity with the basic concept from the audience at all. Strong, strong words. So season two is off to a patronizing and surreal start Let's hope that things improve with our next episode in our double bill for today, which is Changing Gears. Oh. Oh.
let's carry on with Changing Gears, uh, the kind of episode where obviously the title was written first and the episode was written around it by Larry Parr, who's the second guilty culprit of season two of The Transformers. The episode starts off somewhere in the world where gold miners have found some gold and they've got a nice big truck full of the yellow stuff. How realistic do you think that looks? It's not. If you had a truckload of that much gold, you wouldn't be able. Three men would not be able to push a truck of gold that big. Gold is one of those things that's always portrayed as easy to pick up and carry on television and movies. Uh, a notable offender is Goldfinger, where mm. they're in Fort Knox and Bond picks up a gold bar and hurls it at odd job. Picking up a gold bar one-handed is almost impossible to do. Um, <laughs> Because gold is so dense that a bar that size weighs about 20 kilos. Oh, okay. I bet you're the kind of person who could tell me the atomic number of gold. Uh, atomic number of gold is... No, I can't remember. Oh, excellent. Gotcha. But it's, <laughs> it's, one, of the heavy, but it's, it's one of the heavier elements, isn't it? Well, it's got a density of about 19 grams per cubic centimetre, which is you know, 19 times the density of water. So if you imagine one litre of water weighs one kilo... One litre of gold is 19 kilos. It's a common trick they play on new people who work in gold depositories and banks and things like that, where they'll put a bar of gold on the table and say, if you can pick that up one-handed, you can take it home. And everyone tries it, and people can barely shift it, never mind pick it up, <laughs> because it is incredibly dense and heavy. Wow. I'll tell you who's not happy about this: these blasphemies against science. It's the Decepticons. And they turn up and immediately blast all of this nonsensical gold material that these miners have found and uh, and knock their little cart over. Uh, the humans run off and take cover, like the three little pigs. One hides in a barn of wood, another hides in a cave of rock, and another one runs up a mountain. But their Decepticons, that's not going to stop Decepticons either, because they've got Soundwave with them. And who's Soundwave got? Soundwave has got Laserbeak, who flies off and grabs one of the guys, and Ravage, who runs into the mine to retrieve the other guy. And then when Soundwave asked them to return, having captured the two blokes, Megatron arrives and Starscream says, Hail, mighty Megatron, groveling little swine that he is today. Um, and he says, we've captured two of the humans and I'm about to destroy the third one. And Megatron just backhands him across the, <laughs> across the area and says, no, he must be allowed to call for help. It's part of the plan, apparently. This is not a good episode for plans, I think. Meanwhile, back at the Ark, the alarms are going off. The lights are buzzing, there's flashing, there's all kinds of disco noises. Prime is shouting, alert, alert, as Autobots, assemble at once, which is not the catchphrase. That is not Autobots transform and roll out. That is, it's no good. I don't even want to hear it, Prime. But all the Autobots come running down a corridor uh, and they're all like, trundling along, you know, let's go, we're coming into action. All except one guy, one little guy who's ambling along and moaning. And this little guy, who is this little guy? Oh, it's Gears. Gears. And Gears, Gears has been in the show since about episode two, I think, right back at the beginning. But he's hardly had any dialogue. He's hardly had any time in the spotlight at all. Uh, he's not done an awful lot. Uh, and so somebody somewhere decided that Gears needed an episode and they could write a punning title around it because changing gears because you change gears in a car and then this is going to change gears hey. <laughs> isn't that fun 
Um, so yeah, this is Gear's spotlight episode. This is one of those episodes that focuses on one of the characters and rather unusually decides to focus on a character who's been in it since the start. We just haven't looked at him yet. <laughs> yeah, it's, he's introduced... Well, I mean, he's almost a new character, isn't he? I'll tell you, I'll tell you what else sounds like fun. Giz has been off and he's been uh, lubing his cable relays when this alarm came through. He's very upset at having been disturbed doing that. Every time I get sent to lube my cable relays, something happens. Bumblebee runs after him and he does a kind of somersault over Gears, which is really like, is really taking the mick out of the poor guy. It's not surprising that Gears is cranky when people are doing things like that with him, is it really? Yeah, and he takes the opportunity to tell him off for moaning about his squeaking joints. It's less squeak, less squeaking, less squawking. It's not your squeaking that's the problem, it's your squawking. Well done, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so the Autobots then go off to find the source of the alarm, which is the three miners and their gold mine. I don't know. It, like, that's, like, that's the thing we're worried about as Autobots. Gold mines, three miners. Mm, just let the Decepticons do it. Don't know bother. Um, the Autobots arrive at the top of a cliff and they all transform very loudly. And then Prime does a shh motion to Ironhide. Ironhide goes, okay. They, they, this is obviously some kind of stealth mission. Definitely. Uh, the humans have been confined in an energy cage of some description and Starscream wants to terminate the humans again. Yeah. He's very bloodthirsty in this episode. Yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a real killer, isn't he? And then Prime orders the Autobots to attack. But Megatron is waiting for them and says, so the Autobots have finally arrived. Now, this is my other fact that I looked up for this week. Very excited about this one. So I'm going to assume that the Autobots are based in Mount St. Helens, which is in Washington. And I was looking up gold mining locations because I thought well maybe the Autobots took like a really long time to drive there and sadly for any attempts at humour in fact there's loads of gold mining locations in Washington there's a good one there was the Blue Mountains in Oregon which would have been a five or six hour drive that's quite a big way away and you can find some big gold nuggets there but yeah there's loads locally so you know it could have been 10 minutes just down the road might have been really easy but at least on this occasion Megatron actually wants the Autobots to find him, so it does make sense for them to attack something that's not too far from the Ark. Yes. Um, as uh, it turns out. So, but Megatron is ready, and Megatron has a plan. And once again, he transforms, and Soundwave takes him. And a slight aside here, because we now have to go back on something that we said in Series 1. Because in Series 1, we complimented the creators of the series on... Very little reuse of the same stock animation. In series one, there's not a lot of it. There's the occasional shot that you've seen before, especially Optimus Prime transforming. There's, you know, but generally speaking, they don't reuse animation. This episode reuses a ton of animation. The shot of Megatron transforming and landing in Soundwave's hand is exactly the same as it was in the last episode. And there are many other occasions. Optimus Prime's transformation is reused. Loads of other things happen several times over so they now that they're but in their defense they are now doing a season of about 40 something episodes so yeah. they've got to make the animation stretch a bit further so reusing animation okay we can let them off a little bit it's generally it's not something that bothers me too much again having watched a lot of he-man i'm not really going to be too that bothered but no. i think there are there are some really egregious examples in this episode that even i noticed they'd reuse some of the animation like when they're driving out of the arc 
with Mirage and Ratchet and everyone. And that gets used again later in the episode. And yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a shame, but at the same time, there's there's loads of exciting new stuff going on as well. So I'm not that bothered by it. But Megatron's plan is to transform and have Soundwave blast open the cage with the humans in. And the humans run around a bit going, oh my God, we're caught in the middle. And Optimus Prime says, we can't fire. We can't endanger the humans. Good plan. Well, yes and no. Because the humans are about six foot tall. And Optimus Prime and all the Autobots are about 30 feet tall. Wouldn't they just be shooting way over the humans' heads anyway? How are the humans in a crossfire when it's being shot at up there? Well, we have commented on what poor shots the Autobots are. When they open fire with those guns, there's no telling what's going to get hit. So it it could be that they're just taking very, very sensible precautions. I I, I think think that's quite good for Megatron. Yeah, but then it gets really bizarre. Because Megatron transforms back into robot mode, says that Prime's concern for the humans demonstrates that he is weak. And then from behind his back, apparently, pulls out another gun that isn't his fusion cannon. And he shoots a couple of rocks on the top of the cliff that the Autobots came down. And according to Ironhide, Megatron has energised those boulders. And they go flying around like God knows what, bashing the Autobots around. It's just, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) But what a great weapon to use. It's really effective. And... I think at this point, I'd say, Megatron, this is two parts of two parts of a winning three-part plan. So part one, release the humans so the Autobots can't fire. Part two, energise the boulders to smash the Autobots to pieces. And then part three of the plan is, now we need to kidnap Gears. Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. Bring me the Autobot Gears. So they shoot him into a big hole. <laughs> This is where Megatron's plan falls down somewhat because they shoot gears into a big hole. Starscream is standing at the top of the hole and he says he's going to melt gears down into a pool of metal or whatever. And Megatron backhands him again and says, no, no, gears is the key to my plan. Megatron clearly has a very elaborate plan that he hasn't actually bothered to tell half his army about. Hang on. No, 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 no. No, like... Okay, so imagine you're Megatron, right? And you've come up with a brilliant plan. I think the people you would tell would be Soundwave, and that's it. Like, why would you tell Thundercracker or Starscream or Reflector? Why? Why would you even bother? These guys. These guys. These guys are just goons. It, it might have helped, though. I do agree to an extent. It would certainly have helped to have told Starscream because had Megatron been about. 30 seconds later arriving at the beginning, Starscream would have shot the guy who was going to call for help that would have drawn the Autobots out that was his plan in the first place. And if Megatron hadn't been standing right there at the time, Starscream would have melted gears down and ruined the entire plan. So probably it would have helped if he told Starscream, but maybe he just wanted an excuse to keep hitting him. I don't know. Okay, uh, there is another explanation. He's making it all up on the fly and he's just having a laugh. <laughs> uh, that makes as much sense as any other part of this plan. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, Skywarp kidnaps Gears and attaches him to his undercarriage somehow. And they're all flying off with Gears. And, and Prime looks up in the air and he says, they've got Gears. Rather than how I would say, which is, they've got Gears? Yeah. Why? 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 <laughs> 
<laughs> I think at that point, uh, I would have some kind of electromechanical breakdown. And they take Gears back and they put him inside the Electrozap cage outside Megatron's latest invention, obviously built by the Constructicons, who are not present this week for whatever reason. This is the Solar Needle. It's a great name. It is. It's fabulous. And according to Megatron, Gears is the key to getting the Solar Needle to work. And Gears has a wonderful line, which I absolutely love. When Megatron says he's going to help him, go ding your diodes and get defunct. <laughs> and I had to listen to that a couple of times. Get defunct sounds a lot like get defunct. <laughs> and I thought, no, they didn't say that. Let me go back and just see what he did say. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this solar needle looks like there's a great big central collector and then there's all spheres all around it. So there's these sort of collecting spheres on big pedestals all around it. And it's a big green lush jungle area. Uh, and they take gears. In, oh, so Gears doesn't want to help them, but Starscream blasts Gears with his Null Ray, which allows Megatron to open up Gears' chest and remove a very special circuit from inside him. Yes. Starscream's Null Ray being one of the few Decepticon superpowers that gets used more than once in the series. And, and has the same effect whenever he uses it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> But yes, apparently uh, Megatron conducted a secret scan of all the Autobots, which revealed that only Gears has the specific circuit that he needs, which conveniently he can just pull out of a slot in Gears' chest. And Gears wonders what's happened because now he feels so good-natured. Yes, we know he feels... Well, he just outright says it, doesn't he? There's no sort of like subtle hint that he it, this has changed him somehow. He just says, suddenly I feel really good-natured. So, yeah, so it's obviously his grump circuit they've removed. Indeed. Megatron says, oh, obviously this modified your personality, but that can wait. <laughs> and he slots it into place and activates the solar needle, which will pierce the heart of the sun and harvest the energy. Yeah, there, we've got some uh, green energy rays, which blast up towards the sun, and then purple energy is reflected back into the solar needle, into the collector, and then it blasts into the spheres, and you get a nice sort of pie pattern with all the things coming out and going around the spheres. And there's suddenly, we can see the effects of this being felt all over the world in three particular places. Pisa, Paris, and New York, which doesn't begin with a P. It's very irritating. Yeah. But what they do have in common is that all three of them have very recognisable landmark buildings <laughs> that they can stick on the on the uh, on the screen, and we can all tell immediately that we're in Italy, France, and America. You've got to really, haven't you? You're not going to do like, oh, okay, here's downtown Paris, here's Pisa, like away from the tower, and here's New York. It's just like some scummy building in the corner somewhere. You know, yeah. it's it's not much help to the audience. No, it's a common thing in television that every everything that's set in a particular city has to be set within eyesight of whatever famous landmark it has in it. Yeah, um, uh, the only uh, the only city I can think of where that is always true is Dubai, where you are always within eyesight of the Burj Khalifa wherever you are in the city. It is a very strange place. Yeah, so given how high the Burj Khalifa is, I'm not entirely surprised that would be. Uh, <laughs> Nothing's going to hide that. No. But uh, yeah, but this this solar needle thing obviously works faster than light. Um, <laughs> oh no! Oh no! How long would it take for it to come back from the sun? It's about it's about uh, nine minutes, is it? It's eight light minutes away. So had it been based on light speed, Megatron would have pressed the button and then we'd have waited sixteen minutes. 
<laughs> for the light yep. to get to the sun and then come back. So it's like, no, it's faster than light. But then so is everything about the I mean, Transformers can fly faster than light, or at least their spaceships can, because otherwise you couldn't get between planets in any sensible length of time. Meanwhile, the, with the Autobots, uh, Prime has gone back to the Ark and taken everyone back to the Ark to tell them their immediate priority has to be to locate and rescue Gears. So obviously that makes sense to someone. Suddenly, they are attacked by solar flares and the volcano arc starts shaking and it's raining rocks on the Autobots. They're having a bad day with rocks today, aren't they? They are very much having a bad day with rocks today. But yes, if their priority was to rescue Gears, why didn't someone just follow the Decepticons? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, it's an episode where Skyfire would have been very useful and it is kind of shocking he's not in it. Optimus Prime says, I bet Megatron is behind these solar flares. I bet my titanium torsion bars on it, which is one of these wonderful little lines that obviously somebody's gone through a pass on the script and added them all in. <laughs> so the solar needle has charged up Megatron's hyperbole generator, and he says, The ultimate power of the universe is Very excited. <laughs> Very excited. Uh, and because the Decepticons have a vast army with lots of people to do all the work for them, Starscream orders somebody to collect the Energon cubes. Yes, he orders Gears to collect the Energon cubes. And Gears says, ah, sure thing. I'm happy to help, although I'm not sure why. He's just happy to help and doesn't want to let anyone down, even though it's Decepticons. <laughs> yeah, the personality of Gears has changed. It certainly has. Now, Megatron uh, mentions at this point he has a shocking surprise for when Prime finds them, as he inevitably will. Because the Autobots have Teletran 1. And Teletran 1 confirms that the sun will explode in less than two hours. That's not very much time, is it? That's not very much time at all, especially when the next thing that Prime says is that they've identified that the solar needle is in the geographic centre of Africa. Let's go. <laughs> How are they going to get to Africa in less than two hours. And more to the point, why is it daytime at both the Ark and the geographic centre of Africa? Yeah, I think once it said two hours, geographic centre of Africa, I think we're just going to die. We should just like make make our peace with like uh, Primus or whatever, because we, we've had it, frankly. Unless the geographic centre of Africa is actually the name of a museum somewhere in Washington, in <laughs> which case they could easily make it. Maybe it's a national park or something, because that yeah. would make more sense. But yeah, this is... They do... I mean, g give the creators of this show the credit that they deserve. They do try and make this a global se series. They do... Although it's based in America, they do go all over the world. They've been to Peru. They've been to Africa. They've been... I'm sure they've, they've been to Antarctica. Well, no, the North Pole. They went to the North Pole, didn't they? So, Very good. So yeah, they do they do try and spread it out a bit. Yes, and that's excellent. And I, I applaud them for doing it. And it creates different textures and different backgrounds, just gives each episode a bit of a feel, doesn't it? Yeah. So uh, they don't take Skyfire, they drive, unless they drive to Skyfire, who takes them there, who drops them off later. At the Solar Needle, Starscream has noticed that the Earth is unstable, and there's lots of zebras running, and we see the zebras running one direction, and the Autobots are going in the other direction. And they start blasting through a dense jungle to get to the Decepticons, which is not very environmentally sound, I don't think. 
Not at all. Lazarus a road. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. You needed Skyfire for this. You could have flown over those trees. Where's Skyfire? Where is Skyfire? Skyfire? And why, again, rather like the ultimate doom, Megatron seems very unconcerned about the impact his plan is having on the planet he happens to be standing on. Yeah, he doesn't... Oh, Megatron, think it through. Think it. Well, this is the problem with making up plans on the fly, isn't it? Yes. So we get a lovely bit where the Autobots all jump over a cliff, including Cliff Jumper. Yeah. actually gets to jump over a cliff. <laughs> yep. Excellent. Bumblebee almost falls in, but Wheeljack saves him just in time. Um, yeah. It's odd because this particular little bit of peril has absolutely nothing to do with the plot whatsoever, and you could slice it out quite happily, but never mind. It's always nice to have a bit of extra peril on the way. You know, it's not easy getting from Washington to the geographic centre of Africa. That's very true. But here we have another Star Scream as the Butt Monkey moment um, because Gears insults Megatron, and Star Scream takes offence on behalf of Megatron, one assumes, and fires at Gears, but Megatron again hits him and knocks him aside. That's the third time that Megatron has taken a swipe at Starscream. (laughs) Uh, And the energy discharge almost destroys the solar needle. And for a moment, it all looks very, very tense. There's laser bolts going everywhere, but fortunately it all works out and Gears is able to repair it just in time. Just in time. And then the Autobots have arrived and they want to go starting, but Bumblebee says, no, we, we, we can't do that because we might injure Gears. And Prime says, ah, but if we want to save the sun, we have to risk that. Yes. Also, it's Gears. I mean, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and yes. I've, got, I've got to give it up to Prime for this one, recognising the greater problem here, which is, you know, the sun will destroy everything. And, you know, if, if, you, have, if you injure Gears in the process of saving the sun, yeah, it's bad, but, you know yeah uh basically you've got to uh, it's, it's a difficult decision for a leader because you sacrifice one person to save everyone else including that person it's actually you've got to make that decision you've got to say we got to start shooting indiscriminately at this solar needle which they do yeah. straight away but there's a force field oh no there's a force field a reflective energy shield no less so that all of their energy they fire at it gets blasted back at them and Megatron and Starscream think this is hilarious and have a good old laugh about it. And then in a classic uh, evil villain way, they laugh about it for five seconds and then stop and go back to being very serious. It seems the Autobots enjoyed my force field surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Prime has identified one weak point in the shield because obviously it's not reflecting the energy that's coming in from the sun. So if somebody could get in that hole at the top, they could probably turn off the shield. Bumblebee says, we can't get over it. We can't get around it. We'll have to go under, no, over it. Ratchet says that no one could survive it, which seems reasonable. I mean, there seems to be a lot of energy pouring into that hole at the top. I wouldn't want to go into there. Prime will sacrifice himself anyway because it's the only way. Ironhide says he's more expendable and Cliffjumper goes, ah, sod it, you guys, I'm going, and drives off and does it anyway. Yeah, there's a a bit of a a chain of red robot sacrifice here from Prime down to Ironhide to Cliffjumper. And I do wonder if Prime says that, okay, I would survive that. It would really hurt. So I'm going to say this is a really noble sacrifice that 
a really brave Autobot like me should make. And I know, <laughs> I know they will all come running in and say, yeah, yeah, I'll self-sacrifice myself. I'm a brave and noble Autobot. Oh, that's very cynical of you. I, I, I can't subscribe to that view on Optimus Prime. No. 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 <laughs> I, 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 want, I want to add a little side note on here because I actually watched this episode on YouTube with the caption titles on. It auto-generates captions for everything they say. And you know the way Ironhide speaks, he's got a very thick accent. Instead of saying Prime, he says Prime! And he yeah. really draws it out. This was automatically captioned on YouTube as Brian. So we have Optimus Brian. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think we should call him that from here on. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, anyway... Uh, Cliff Jumper jumps in, uh, there's a huge explosion, and the reflective shield is down, and Megatron says, Decepticons, to your stations, wherever they are. What stations? What stations? Did did you see anything resembling a station? No. No. And as we already know, Megatron hasn't told his Decepticon army or half of them what the plan was anyway, so... (laughs) So they're all running around going, saying, Megatron's just said, go to your stations. And we've got to look like we know where those stations are, even though I've got no idea where I'm going. No clue. No clue at all. I've had days like that at work. Oh, I really have. Yeah. Do this. I don't know, but I'm just going to look busy. Yes. When Gears goes to get his circuit back, because he's beginning to suspect that he's only happy to help because of the modified personality, but Starscream grabs him, although at this point the voice doesn't match up. Oh, yeah, it's Thundercracker for a sec, isn't it? It's Thundercracker's voice. It's very much animated as Starscream, but it is Thundercracker's voice. But then it becomes clear it is supposed to be Starscream because Gears addresses him as such, and the voice goes back to being Starscream. And Gears cheerfully tells him he should probably look behind him, and of course Starscream is like, do you expect me to fall for that? And then Bumblebee just knocks him over. Yeah, Bumblebee sends Starscream flying. He does, and uh, Soundwave clearly takes exception to this because he sets Laserbeak and Ravage on Bumblebee. <laughs> That's a double whammy. That is, you know, he's got, you know, he's got at least two more cassettes in there that don't don't come out. Yeah, Rumble has been conspicuously absent for a while. Yeah, Rumble, Frenzy, and Buzzsaw are not getting involved in this. I'd love to see them. I'd love to see Buzzsaw. But Buzzsaw's just Laserbeak, but yellow. But, <laughs> yes, but, but. That's what makes it cool. I'd love to see Laserbeak, but yellow. That's what would make it cool if Buzzsaw appeared more than Laserbeak, because Buzzsaw was the one who came packaged with Soundwave if you got the toy. Uh, but Prime attempts to reason with Megatron to say that, you know, this is all going to go badly wrong, Megatron. You're going to destroy the sun. Yeah. Somehow they both got to the top of the solar needle and are wrestling again, because that's what always seems to happen on these things. That happened in the Ultimate Doom, didn't it? They got to the top of the big machine that was about to destroy the Earth, and they had a big wrestling match, didn't they? They did, yes. Um, and Megatron throws Prime at the energy beams. And there is a nice little bit of continuity in this sequence because Prime uh, doesn't get thrown directly into the energy beam or whatever. Gears, I think, intervenes in some way to to make it slightly less um, dangerous. But Prime's gun disintegrates in the energy beam. And, pleasingly, he doesn't have it for the rest of the episode. So they remembered that he was rendered weaponless and kept it that way. <laughs> We always see Autobots and Decepticons just pull random items out of thin air. So mm. it wouldn't be it wouldn't be too upsetting if it came back, but I think that's that's quite a nice little touch, isn't it? Uh, Megatron transforms back into Soundwave's hand again. 
in the same move that we've seen a couple of times already and shoots gears. And once again, you know, someone gets shot by Megatron and has a bit of a bad shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) It's so consistent. It's so consistent. And then Megatron transforms back to robot mode, points his fusion cannon at Prime and demands the Autobots surrender because it's all over. But hang on, you've, you've done this many times before and they've never surrendered at that point. But here they do. For some reason, the Autobots capitulate. Even though Prime says, no, 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 it's okay, carry on. The Autobots all go, oh, no. Yeah, they drop they drop their guns in a really pathetic way. It's sort of like they just sort of crumple and just gently drop their guns down. I, I, it's, re- it's not a good look for the Autobots in this one, I think. No, especially as Prime points out, the sun will explode in a matter of astroseconds. But since we don't know what astroseconds are, that could mean anything, really. Exactly, yes. Megatron tells Gears to repair the solar needle, and Gears doesn't want to disappoint Megatron. He doesn't want to let Megatron down or let Megatron feel bad. I would want to keep Megatron happy, wouldn't you? Yeah, I guess I probably would. He doesn't want to disappoint anyone, though. He doesn't. He's happy no. to be of service. Uh, but as Ironhide says, "What have you done, you monster? You've turned him nice." <laughs> <laughs> it's a real shock for this character who has one character trait to have then lost that character trait. It's definitely not on at all. But Prime has a cunning plan. So cunning, you can pin a tail on it and call it a weasel. He asks Megatron if a condemned mechanism can have a last request. Megatron says, yes, yes, but be quick about it. That is insane. I'm sorry, that is... Megatron, no. If he's asking for a last request, no, don't grant it. Just kill him, please. So what does Prime do? He asks Gears for a favour, and Gears says, I thought you'd never ask, and promptly blasts the solar needle. Yeah, he doesn't want to disappoint Prime either. And so, cunningly... The uh, whatever is equilibrium in his head points to working for the Autobots to not disappoint Prime, and he starts blasting at the Solar Needle, and then all heck breaks loose, and the Autobots start kicking the Decepticons around. Ratchet drop kicks Skywarp very impressively. Gears picks up Starscream, swings him round by his feet, and swings him into Soundwave. It's really changed from the first season where the Autobots weren't fighters and would usually lose these kind of battles, hasn't it? It has. And at this point, they, I think the Decepticons are quite surprised by it as well because Megatron doesn't even have to sound the retreat. The Decepticons all just clear off. <laughs> yeah, they're all leaving without him. They just say, oh, no, don't fancy this. Well, I think it's yeah. all going wrong. Uh, Megs refuses to turn off the solar needle. His hyperbole chip is still activated. He says he will destroy the universe first. But he retreats at 90 minutes and eight seconds. Prime gives him a Prime gives him a bit of a kick, and instead of just a Megatron just flies away. And then Prime says, We have to uh, we have to shut down the solar needle. Ratchet and Wheeljack on the double, and Ratchet and Wheeljack just stand there arguing about which wire to pull out to deactivate the solar needle. So Prime just grabs one and says, keep your fingers crossed, and luckily it turns out to work. Yes. Uh, They've got to restore the sun's equilibrium. As somebody who has some experience of astrophysics, I'm not going to talk about that any further to you. (laughs) To bypass the solar needle's memory. So there we go. It restores the sun equilibrium. And for the second time this series, the Earth, which has had severe shocks and after effects and shaking Earth, has recovered and everything is fine. 
the yeah. Earth is I, actually of all the all the all the things and planets and things in this story. Earth really has suffered, hasn't it? After the ultimate doom, this is this is really bad news for Earth. Yeah, Earth is not a fun place to be while the Transformers are on it. It has to be said. Given that one of the stories I'm most familiar with that's coming up is Revenge of Bruticus, I know it only gets worse for the Earth. It gets a <laughs> lot worse. Oh, it gets so much worse. <laughs> Unbelievable. So much worse. Anyway, um, we're back with the Solar Needle, and they've got to destroy it so that Megatron can never build another one very quickly, which he did last time. They give Gears the honour of destroying it. But first... But first... Gears wants his circuit back and Trailbreaker says the Autobots have taken a vote and can we keep Gears like this? <laughs> that's just that's that's just mean. It's like we don't like we don't like Gears, we prefer him like this. Let's keep him. It's like, oh that's horrible. Uh, this could be a 20 minute episode because it is it's a moral quandary. Do you take out a part of someone's personality that clearly makes them unhappy? and they're happier without it, do you then put that back in because it's an integral part of who they are, or are they better off happy? Well, I think the moral quandary element of that is somewhat undercut by the fact that Gears himself actually wants the circuit back. Hey, if you guys don't give me my circuit back, I'm going to start kicking Transistor. Easy peasy. Because, it, you know, so, yeah, so no, the rest of you can't just decide, actually, it's better if you don't have it. <laughs> Yeah, leave leave the choice about medical procedures to the person who's actually on the receiving end. Don't decide for them. So Gears does get his circuit back. And immediately, how does that make him feel? Cranky and horrible, the same as he always does. <laughs> uh, and they take him up to the side of the mountain, and they've got the big traditional plunger, dynamite plunger, to blow up the solar needle, except it looks a bit more sci-fi than a dynamite plunger. And there, Gears gets to do it, and he's moaning as he does it. And then the explosion, he says, it probably won't work. And then the explosion goes off, and he's like, ah, you know those explosions, those vibrations, it makes you feel all bad. And he's moaning and moaning, moaning. All the other Autobots leave, and he says, hey, wait for me. And that is the end of the episode. Everything is happily resolved. I enjoyed this one, I think. I I did too. I, I it's Yeah, this was a fun episode. You know, Megatron's not telling the plan to half his staff is a bit daft, but it does give him an excuse to hit Starscream at least three times. Yeah, I've got a huge advantage over you on this one in that I didn't actually notice anything like that. So it all just seemed to make sense to me at the time. It just made some kind of sense at the time. But in retrospect, maybe Yeah, not. I mean, it is based on a rather odd premise that he's built an entire machine that depends on a circuit that happens to sit in one Autobot, which is a rather odd thing to do. Couldn't it? Could it, could it really not have worked? That huge thing could really not have worked without that one circuit. But, you know, it was a fun episode. And Gears is, uh, yeah, he's a fun little character. He's been in it since the beginning, basically, but hardly had any attention paid to him. He's one of the little mini-bots. Yeah. Um, with a really simple transformation. You just sort of tuck his arms in and fold his legs up and he's a car Woo. yeah yeah i i had a gears as a kid and he was he was good fun obviously the great thing about gears is that as a robot he doesn't actually have a face in the toy mode he's got a kind of mask which looks way cooler but i think they just wanted to give him a face for the uh, cartoon animation just to make it a bit more friendly because it is quite a creepy mask with the character models of the toys versus the um cartoons in that some of the toys don't really have faces, they have 
visors instead of eyes and they have face plates instead of mouths and things but they don't 100% translate that across to the cartoon some of the ones that have no faces have faces in the cartoon it's it's interesting how they decided Hmm. what to do with it but you know there we go which one's which yeah so yeah so did you get a man of the match for this episode jason oh it's gears of course it's gears the whole episode is about gears and he's the one who at the end of it when optimus prime asks him for a favor just goes yeah sure and destroys the or stops the solar needle from working so yeah yeah it's gears gears is a good choice but i am not going for gears i'm going for ratchet did you see that drop kick I mean, I re- I rewound that a couple of times. That was so cool. <laughs> I and Ratchet is he's he's the doctor. He's the medic of the group, and to pull off a move like that, what a guy! Well, I was so impressed by that. Um, blew away everything else anyone did in this episode. Counterpoint: Gears picked up Starscream by his ankles and swung him around, and Gears is about half Starscream's size. Ah, so that is also a good move. Ooh. <laughs> I, I, I think you might have a good point there jason anyway good brilliant well that was tremendous fun we are back with a bang for season two two stories that actually are very similar in many ways with a member of the Autobot team converted to work with the decepticons uh, after megatron persuades them to work for them but all that remains to be said about that is Thank you for listening to Robots in Your Eyes. I've been Stephen Alexander, co-hosting with Jason Thompson. We'll be back next week with another action-packed double bill. But until then, if you're ever having trouble thinking, remember you can always let a robot alien space tyrant do it for you. Good night. That was Robots in Your Eyes. You can find us on Twitter at Robots in Eyes, or you can email us at robotsineyes at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to give us a nice review and comment on the podcast app of your choice. Thank you.